to see you today. We're grateful for your presence. We're very thankful for the opportunity to be together today. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 down through verse 25 in our study today. And if you are visiting, we want you to certainly come back and be with us again. We would love to have you come and be with us on a regular basis. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We're grateful for the presence of each of you today. I know that uh, first, well, really the first weekend of fall, and probably not uh, the most favorable of conditions outside, but we're grateful you're here nonetheless. And so hopefully prayerfully it'll be a great day. We are going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, the passage I mentioned a moment ago. If you were to look at the scriptures and ask the question, what's the Bible all about? The focus of scripture is Jesus and his redeeming work on behalf of fallen man. The Bible tells us over and over again, the greatest problem man has is sin. Sin, as you well know, entered the world in the Garden of Eden. The devil deceived the first couple. As a result of that, mankind became separated from God, the Creator. And so God began putting into motion a plan to redeem the human family. The redemption that would ultimately come about would be through Jesus, His only begotten Son. So today I want us to think for a moment or two about the redeeming work of Jesus. <clears throat> Peter talks about that redemptive work. I want to begin our study by first of all calling attention to His plan to redeem us. What we need to understand here is that God had a plan to redeem those of us who belong to the human family. And so we talk about the source of this plan, the one who engineered the plan. The one who engineered the plan was God. He was the architect. Listen to what Peter said beginning in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And now look at verse 20. Peter said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. All Peter is saying is that God is the one who engineered this redemptive plan. God had a plan in place before he ever created the world. In Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 4, Paul said that God chose us in him that is in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And so God had this plan in place before he ever spoke the world into existence. You remember John in Revelation chapter 13 talks about the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And so first, 
Peter addresses the engineer of this plan, and then secondly, the executor of the plan. Peter said that Jesus was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Peter here acknowledging the fact that Jesus was the agent of salvation. That salvation came through the Son of God. And God had a timeline. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you look at the scriptures in Genesis 3.15, God begins unveiling that redemptive plan. He identifies the promised seed. That would be Jesus. Centuries later, the apostle Paul would say in Galatians 4 verse 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem them that are under the law. Jesus came to earth to fulfill God's will. Do you remember in John 6? Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In the shadow of the cross in John chapter 17, Jesus said in praying to God the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And so Jesus came to execute this redemptive plan. So first, the source of the plan, and then secondly, the scope of the plan. Did you know that the Lord died so that all might be saved? The Lord died for all to be saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 15, Paul said that Christ died for all. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says that Jesus tasted death, listen to him, for every man. Salvation is for all people. God's desire is that all would be saved. We talk about the Lord died for all to be saved, but the Lord also desires all to be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 4, Paul said that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you know that God wants you to be saved? He wants all people to be saved? God sent his son so that all might enjoy the blessings of redemption. Now there's a second thing I want to call attention to in our text. First, the plan to redeem us, and then secondly, the price to redeem us. As we think about the price, that would signify to us the cost of redemption, wouldn't it? The cost. I would begin by talking about the generosity of God's gift. God recognized that there was, that there was an intrinsic need on the part of the human family. That need was for a savior, a redeemer. And God recognized that in order to redeem the crown of his creation, it would cost him greatly. And so Paul in Romans chapter eight said that God spared not his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all freely. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 at verse 15, Paul in the long ago said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now sometimes we talk about what it will cost us to obtain a certain possession, to get something that we want. God wanted us to enjoy salvation. In order to appropriate that salvation, it was going to cost him greatly. So the generosity of God's gift. Add to that the graciousness of God's gift. None of us today would have any hope of being saved were it not for the grace of God. In Titus chapter 2, Paul said, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. In verse 14 of that same context, Paul said, speaking of Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity. Think for a minute about the tremendous love that God has for you. You know, there are people in our world today that feel unwanted, unloved. They feel as if they are outcast. Matter of fact, some have been called outcast. Some have the idea that because of what they've done or where they've been or maybe what they've said, that they've been kicked to the curb. And yet, what is, what is, what is God saying about us as members of the human family? God is saying no matter who you are or where you may be in life, He's saying that He loves you, He cares for you, He wants you to be saved. And we talk about the grace of God. And there are some folks that have this idea that because of what they've done, there's no way that God's grace could ever cover the magnitude of their sin. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Really all Paul is saying is that God's grace has the ability to cover your sins. And so, the cost of our redemption. But then add to that the cross of our redemption. Now listen to what Peter said, because Peter's going to talk about the cost of redemption and the cross of redemption. What did it cost God? Well, it cost him his son. What did it, what did it cost Jesus? It cost him the cross, didn't he? And the Bible in very emphatic terms talks about the sacrificial body of Jesus. Over in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Peter said that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. You ever thought about Jesus as he stood before Pontius Pilate and the Bible talks about how Jesus was slapped, scourged, spit upon. They questioned his sonship, his sovereignty, the, the abuse that Jesus took. 
And then the Bible says that after Pontius Pilate had delivered him up to be crucified, that Jesus began bearing that cross to Golgotha. And Matthew said that he fell beneath the weight of the cross and so they compelled a man by the name of Simon to carry his cross. Whose cross was he carrying? Was it his cross? Did he have a cross? Listen, Jesus was bearing our cross in his body. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, they nailed him to the cross because of sin, our sin. That was God's plan. Paul said, listen to him, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I can't imagine the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. And yet the Bible talks about his sacrificial body. The Hebrew writer said that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Then add to that the shed blood of Jesus. I don't know how much blood Jesus lost on that occasion, but Jesus shed his blood for our sins. Listen to what Peter, listen to what Peter says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. God did not buy your salvation using monetary, a monetary form of exchange. But rather he said, he redeemed you with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus shed his blood in death for our sin. As a matter of fact, John tells us in John chapter 19, verses 34 and 35, that Jesus shed his blood in death. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that in him we have redemption through his sins according to the riches of his grace. Jesus redeemed us with his precious blood. Every first day of the week we remind ourselves of the body that Jesus gave in our stead as we partake of the unleavened bread. When we partake of the cup, the fruit of the vine, we remember the blood of the new covenant, which, as Jesus said, was shed for the remission of our sins. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Where would we be without the shedding of the blood of Jesus? One of the greatest days in the history of the Israelite nation was the great day of atonement. You can go back and read of the great day of atonement in the book of Numbers in about chapter 16. On that, on that day, the high priest officiated. He would take a goat. One of the goats he would slay for the sins of the people. In other words, to atone for the sins of the people. Now the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10 that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So every year, 
the great day of atonement, no doubt reminded them of sin. And so they were looking forward in anticipation to the blood of Jesus. So the high priest slays a goat. The slaying of that goat and the shedding of that blood was for atonement. Then he would take another goat. He would lay his hands on the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of the people. They would then take a man and the Bible would say by the hands of a fit man that goat would be led out into the wilderness signifying the removal of sin from the camp. All of that prefigured the coming of Jesus. It was a shadow or type of the atoning work of Jesus. So what Peter is saying is, look, you have been redeemed not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. So you go back to the day of atonement, and you think about that lamb that was slain, signifying atonement for the sins of people. And then the sending away of another goat, which would signify the removal of sin from the presence of the people. Jesus accomplished both of those things in his death, didn't he? The Hebrew writer said, speaking of the covenant under which we, which we now live, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. What the writer is saying is that when you obey the gospel and come in contact with the cleansing blood of Jesus, he forgives your sins and those sins are removed, remitted. They are removed from your presence forevermore. God doesn't dredge those things up and say, oh, you remember what you did back three years ago? Or you remember when you said this or you went here or you did? No, God doesn't operate like that. What the writer is saying is God forgives and he forgets in the sense those sins are no longer held against us. So the cost of our redemption and then the cross of our redemption and the fact that the cross of our redemption brings to the fore the body of Jesus sacrificed for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us. But then there's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. And that is the power to redeem us. First, the plan to redeem us. Secondly, the price to redeem us. And then thirdly, the power to redeem us. Peter's going to talk about, in writing to the saints in the first century, their conversion to Christ. He's going to begin by talking about the new birth. Listen to him in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Let me just pause there for a minute. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he talked about the new birth, didn't he? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, a ruler among the Jewish people, a Pharisee, he said to him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot 
enter the kingdom of God. And so the means by which we enter the kingdom is by obeying the gospel. These people to whom Peter wrote, they had obeyed the truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit. And so they became New Testament Christians. And so he first talks about their birth in Christ and then their blessings in Christ. Peter had just talked about the fact they had been redeemed. And based on their redemption, they now enjoyed a relationship to the Lord. Listen to him in chapter 2, verse 9. He said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He said, whom he's called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now look at verse 10. Who once were not a people, but he said, now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Did you know that since you obey the gospel of Jesus, that you are somebody? In other words, you belong to the Lord. And you are an heir to King Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said that if you are an heir of Christ, you're an heir of God. And so all the great blessings and favors that that we enjoy in Christ, we've been redeemed, we have a relationship with the Lord, we are blessed in so many ways, we have pardon with God, we have peace with God, we have the presence of God, the ability to pray to God, we have the promises of God. You tell me, are we special people? Yes, we are. That's what Peter is saying. Look, as a child of God, you're blessed. You have a new beginning and you have new blessings. And then what about their conduct? Once these folks became God's people, there were new expectations. Peter is writing to Christians that were experiencing trials and difficulties because of their faith. Sometimes people have the idea that once they become a Christian, all of their problems will somehow magically disappear. Well, we live in a world of trial and trouble. Sometimes because of our faith, we're persecuted. And these people were being tried in the faith. He talks about the trying of your faith being more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire. And then over in chapter 5, he talks about the work of the devil, how the devil is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying that as a child of God, as one of his people, look, you need to understand something. The devil's going to come after you. So we talk about our conduct in Christ. What we've got to do is hold on and go on and be faithful to God. He said, in light of the overtures of the devil, he said, you remain steadfast in the faith. And then as a child of God, we can enjoy the triumph that awaits us on that great and final day. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about how we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible. He said it's undefiled. It fades not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Think about this for a minute. God has redeemed us. He has blessed us with a relationship, a relationship that will endure throughout all of time. And then he has reserved for us a place with him. 
We live with Jesus, we live for Jesus today so that one day we can live with him, don't we? And so, as a child of God, we got so many blessings. Have you been redeemed? Do you enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in your life? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and sometimes people ask the question, what, what would I need to do? Well, if you do what they did in the first century, then you can become a child of God. What did they do? You remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter, of course, is on record as preaching the gospel on Pentecost Day. And Peter had convinced those people that they had crucified the Son of God. And so based on their conviction, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's exactly what Peter said to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What they did 2,000 years ago is what God says that we must do today. When we comply with what Peter commanded on that day, then we become children of God. We enjoy forgiveness. God puts us in his body. We become his people. We become a part of the community of the saved, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And then we live in hope of life eternal. So if you haven't obeyed the gospel today, let today be that day. If you're here today, and for whatever reason, you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, you need to come home. Maybe you'd like the church to pray on your behalf. We'd be happy to do that. It might be that you're struggling with trials and difficulties in your life and you just need the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray for you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?